Good morning, friends. Today's message, it pays to have a friend in high places. My text is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Now, several years back, while talking with a group of inmates at Angola Prison, one of them said, You know, Doc, you need to understand that in this prison you have favor. Well, I come to understand if you got favor, it means you got a friend in high places, which would have meant the warden. See, we all understand that because we all need help from time to time. Maybe someone who can cut through the red tape and help us when we can't help ourselves. Well, in this message, I hope to encourage you from Hebrews that Jesus is exactly the friend in high places that we need. Now, we love to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, but is there anything to those words at all? Well, our text gives us the answer. Jesus is the friend we need because he's the right person with the right past in the right place. In other words, we have favor. Three points to date. We have favor, first of all, because we know the right person. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, most of us are at a disadvantage when we read this verse because we don't really have a a, a clear notion of what a high priest is. Now, the main thing we need to know is that the high priest was the number one person in the Old Testament religious system. There were various levels and orders of priests in Judaism, but there was only one high priest. His job was to represent the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. On that day, he would go behind the thick veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And there he would offer the blood of a goat on the golden mercy seat that sat atop the Ark of the Covenant. When the blood was offered in the way God prescribed, the sins of the people were atoned or covered for another year. And you can read all about that in Leviticus 16. Now, that system was never meant to last forever. The high priest had to repeat the sacrifice year after year. When one high priest died, he was replaced by another who continued the yearly sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But now that Jesus has come, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament has been abolished. So Jesus now has become our great high priest who has passed through the heavens into the sanctuary of God. And unlike the sacrifices of the Old Testament high priest, Jesus' sacrifice never needs to be repeated. Through his death on the cross, he made a complete and final atonement for our sins. He's the right person to hear our prayers because he has entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. He is Jesus, his human name, and he is also the Son of God, his divine title. The same Jesus who once walked on the earth is now in heaven, having opened the way to God by his own eternal sacrifice. And second, we have favor because of the right past. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, the King James Version says that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, he's touched by the weakness of our feeble flesh. Whatever touches us, touches him. To say, I feel your pain, has become kind of a cliche today, but in Jesus' case, it's true. He's moved by our sorrow, 
aware of our tears and touched by our failure. He knows what we are going through. Now, sometimes when we are in the middle of a hard time, well-meaning people will say, you know, I know what you're going through. Now, in my opinion, that's kind of a cruel thing to say at times. I mean, how can you be sure you know what another person is thinking or feeling? I think it's better not to say that, because if you really do know what another person is going through, your heart will make that clear to them. And if you don't, it's far better, perhaps, not to say anything at all. Most times it's enough to just say, I'm just really sorry to hear about this. Is there anything I can do? Let me know. I mean, just a few words, but what a message a few words can convey. That's what our text means when it says that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows our pain. He sees our weakness. He understands what we're going through. And because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he truly knows what we're going through. I I think how great it is to know that he was tempted just as we are. I mean, the text says that Jesus faced every kind of temptation we can face. Now, basically, every temptation falls into one of three categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus defeated the devil in those three areas. Where we failed, he succeeded. Where we gave in, he stood strong. Where we collapsed under pressure, Jesus obeyed his Father. He was tempted, yet he never sinned by giving in. Now, this has enormous implications for our spiritual life. Because Jesus was tempted and never gave in, we may be sure that he is never surprised by anything we say or do. Now, we give in too early, so we never felt the full force of temptation. But Jesus let the waves of temptation rush over him and stood like the rock at Gibraltar. When we pray, we don't have to worry that we will somehow shock him. I mean, he's heard it all. He's seen it all. We can go ahead and be totally honest with our failures. He knows about it even before we tell him. And we don't have to prove ourselves worthy when we pray because Jesus knows how sinful we really are. We don't have to play games when we do when we pray. We can just come to him just the way we are, clinging only to the cross and claiming nothing but the blood of Jesus as our own hope of being accepted when we pray. Our text contains one final truth that should encourage us when we pray. See, Jesus is not only the right person with the right past. Well, here's the third point. We have favor because of the right place. Verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So you see, friends, when we pray, we're invited to come to the throne of grace. Because of Jesus, the throne of God's justice is now a throne of God's grace, a place where we will not be turned away. Now, I know a lot of people kind of think of God's throne as kind of like going to the principal's office in high school. And I don't know if you remember what it was like to be called to the principal's office, uh, been there, done that. And as you walk in, you're saying, well, nothing good could happen behind that closed door. You're bound to be in some kind of trouble if you get called in there. And sadly, that's how many of us think of God's throne, because we have a vision of of an angry God who's looking for a chance to hurl a lightning bolt on us. But it's not true. When we come to God in Jesus' name, he's glad to see us. He knows who we are. He calls us by name, and he welcomes us before the throne. My child, he says, what can I do for you today? I mean, that's why we are to come with confidence or boldness. 
I mean, the Greek means with freedom of speech. When we come before God in prayer, we don't have to be ashamed or act bashful or watch our words lest we say something wrong. We can unburden our heart because the Lord, before the Lord and say whatever we want to say. Now, I'm a member of the College of the Ozarks Associates. I have a card that gives me free admittance to all sporting events and plays and other special events on campus. But you know something? It doesn't do me any good unless I use it. The card has to be used boldly in order to be of benefit. Otherwise, the privileges that are mine will go unused. Well, in the same way, God has given to every Christ follower a card that says, Admit to the throne room of heaven. The card is stamped with the blood of Jesus, but that card does you no good unless you use it boldly when you pray. Our text tells us that when we come to the throne of grace, we will receive mercy and we will find grace. See, now, mercy is what gets us out of trouble. I mean, have you ever wondered or been asked, how should I pray? One of my go-to responses is pretty simple. Pray, Lord, have mercy, God, have mercy, Jesus, have mercy. I mean, there are many times in life when the only thing we can do is to cry out those words. Lord, have mercy. God, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy. See, our text assures us that when we pray like that, we're going to find mercy, the mercy that we need from God. Now, verse 16 ends with good news that we can find grace to help in our time of need. <clears throat> One modern translation, I think, I don't know if it's a Phillips translation or good news for modern man or whatever, it says we can find grace to help just in the nick of time. Well, I kind of like that. I mean, the last phrase literally means at the right moment. God's answers are always perfectly timed, not too soon, not too late, and often they do seem to come just in the nick of time. God gives us grace we need, but not until we truly need it. It's a wonderful thing to feel complete freedom to come into his presence. That's the boldness and the freedom of speech that all of us ought to have when we pray. Now, I come to the bottom line, and it's good news for all of us. We've got a friend in high places. We have favor. We've got connections in heaven. We've got a friend at the throne of grace who delights to answer our prayers. He's the right person with the right past in the right place. And because he feels your pain and my pain, he can sympathize with what we're going through. Nothing we can say will ever surprise him. That's why we need to come boldly and to come often. Come to the throne of grace and pour out your heart to God. Friend, you will never be turned away. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.